It's Friday, and I'm Del Shores. And I'm Emerson Collins, and you're watching The Dell and Emerson Show. Straight talk. Real gay. Hi, Del Shores. Remember when we used to look forward to the weekend? <laughs> What's the weekend? I'm not familiar with this concept you speak of. Oh, it's just a different time for us. I... But we're actually in a good mood today. I am in a very good mood today. Aren't you in a good mood? Yeah. I am. We got a tiny step of good news we can't share with y'all yet, but it is lifting my spirits. Yeah, How we, is everyone else? Don't y'all love that when someone says, we got some good news? Now, I can't tell you what it is. I can't tell uh -huh. you what it is. So um, I can't tell you what it is, but we did get some good news and it was fun. So, um, but, and so we, yeah, we're starting this show in very good moods. I'm in a really good mood because tomorrow I'm doing something crazy. I am driving to San Luis Obispo with my daughter, Rebecca, with our mask on to see, I'm getting emotional, <laughs> to see my other daughter, Caroline, who I've not seen in almost a year. She's driving from San Francisco to meet us. We're stopping at Whole Foods, getting food, some vegan stuff for her, you know, some meat for us and we're meeting in a park and we're just gonna visit. I love that the girls are so like, you know, paying attention to everything and found a park where you could all meet, where it would be safe. I, I love a little reunion. I told that I said, I will pay for everything if y'all will just plan it. And they did, plan they did. You put <laughs> Rebecca, daughter Rebecca's a very good planner. She's, you know, and, and, and then Caroline got, I mean, she got us halfway down to five minutes. So she planned the who, where we meet and it was great. So anyway, I'm excited. I get to teach some actors this weekend. So I'm in a, yeah, we had our good news. I'm in a good mood. You look good. Yeah. You look well, good. Well, you know, I work at it. I don't. <laughs> Ken Hartsfield said this weekend is four years since a very sort of wedded filming in Dallas. Oh, good times. Those were some flies. That was probably, if I remember correctly, that could have possibly been the most stressful day of your life. <laughs> was yeah. that filming at the Rose Room? Yeah. I, I have said before. The day of shooting all of the scenes at the Rose Room still goes down as the most intense day of my personal life and a huge success. Well, speaking of Dallas, I have some Dallas news. Yes. Um, I am so honored to co-host. And I, it's not like I'm really co-hosting. I'm more like a guest uh, where I come in and, uh, with my good friend, Ron Cor Corning, who was in a very sordid wedding. He played the newscaster. He is a newscaster in real life. So tomorrow, at 6.30 on CW33 TV, uh, the Dallas Pride TV special. It's only 30 minutes. And our good friend Cassie Nova is one of the grand marshals. And, and it was so, it was just so wonderful to, because I, I, you know, I'm so connected to Dallas. And uh, for them to ask me to do that, and it, this is big, y'all. This is big. This has never happened before. So there are some positive things about a pandemic because they're doing this virtual Pride. And uh, they've never aired it on a major station before anything about Pride like this, a special. That's very exciting. Um, well, hey, everybody. How are you on this Friday? Whether you're watching us on Facebook, on YouTube, or on Periscope, on Twitter, first, please share the broadcast with your friends. Invite them to join us, participate in the conversation. If you have comments, questions, write them in the chat. We'll see them. If we find them entertaining, we'll address them. If not, we'll skip them. You know how it goes. Um, 
what a weird day. Have you? I looked at some news finally for the first time in a while. We haven't done sports ball. I feel like the entire time we brought the show back. Oh my god! Because there's no sports ball. I only want to talk about it because Major League Baseball started and they put cardboard cutouts in the seats. Yes, I saw that very controversial thing with Mary Hart. Did you see that? Yeah, I mean, I don't care about her weird MAGA Trump ass. Uh, they but said, it's just yeah, they awkward. said uh, people were going crazy about that though, and, well, and because she introduced Trump at that rally at Mount Rushmore. No, and they said she had these secret. Yeah, those uh, don't do that. Weird white power hand symbol that you're giving out signals, which we are not. Well, if somebody watches it and isn't paying attention and they're a dumbass, that is not my problem. We're talking about what she did. I'm yeah. not catering to the stupidest people on the internet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for clarif clarifying that. So, but anyway, the cutouts, that's just creepy. It's a little creepy. And, it's and like was, the seed filler rehearsals at the Oscars. And I feel like that there should have been a couple of cutouts like this with you and me going. If you were going to have the cutouts, who would you put in the seats? Um, I would put Taylor Swift. Uh, and Beyonce for sure. Taylor Swift and her new album that just yeah, came out. Yeah, her new album. Holding her new album, I think I would uh, I, I would have Kelly Clarkson actually a cutout of her on the field singing the national anthem. I think that that just like you know it would just be like with a mic a cutout and then then play the national anthem. Don't you think that would be cool? Yes. Um, See, and I would want like the designing <laughs> women and the Golden Girls and like. <laughs> the Desperate Housewives. And then I would want a cardboard cutout in my position on the field. Like, I want to sit in the seat, and you can put a cardboard cutout of me out there, like, picking daisies like I did in T-ball growing up. Or, yeah, or just uh, so bored. Just yeah. yawning. Yawning. Someone yawning. Uh-huh. Doing cartwheels. And then also, apparently, the Pentagon's releasing information about UFOs, and the aliens have already been here. They have? Well, we knew that. We knew that. I mean, you know, shit. If the aliens were here, they went home. They were like, oh, no, this is a lost cause. I got to tell you something about right now. I would not mind being taken. Just take Like Liam Neeson taken or like aliens taken? No, and what aliens from? just take me, aliens, just for a few months so I could just get out of this shit. Just whoop me up. Just give me, you know, and and... Make me breed with you or something. I don't care. <laughs> I've been watching this. Greg Araki had this show on Stars called uh, Now Apocalypse. That's this great, like, one season of this very queer millennial show that includes aliens. And I'm sorry, this is a spoiler alert if you're planning to watch it, because they only did one season, and it was a couple of years ago. But the very end of the show is a guy getting, like, butt probed by an alien. The end. Right. I can. Okay. Uh, but it was, like, ribbed. What's it? What's it? Beam me up, Scotty. Beam me up. <laughs> yes. Um, and then in my one sort of, um, well, actually very serious, you know, as we continue to pay attention to protests falling in and out of the news, you know, all the stuff up in Portland is so terrifying. Um, and how it sort of wasn't in the news until the Portland moms, you know, all these moms who got fed up by the like federal, the DHS people without their insignias, like basically kidnapping people off the streets and have been showing up at the protests. Um, I think that's just such a great representation of everybody standing up. And then I feel like 
Trump did this dumbass tweet of this story about Joe Biden ruining the suburbs. And he said, all suburban housewives need to read this. And I was like, suburban housewives, like the suburban moms are on the front lines of the protests. Like it was weirdly patronizing and misogynistic to like address every woman who lives in the suburbs as if they're like a 1950s housewives. Not that there's anything wrong with being a stay-at-home mom, but like that's it that's there. Yeah, I, I, I love, thank you for sending that because I, I just went down a rabbit hole with that. Uh, and I loved, you know, the the guy with the hockey stick and I, and the, the singing with the with the, the moms was fantastic. I mean, they're, they're, that's that's the way to protest. I want to real quick, Emerson, I want to address something because I've made a mistake. Uh, Judy uh, Holcomb is saying my Facebook link doesn't work. It's because I did change it. It's Dell Shores dot com it, i mean uh, facebook.com dell shores official so that's the that's the link uh gotcha well then it's not there because i have Streamyard linked to your other oh no yeah so they're watching it everywhere else right now today we'll oh. get it fixed for the next one i'm so sorry emerson i've i've messed that up i was trying um, to I'll post it as a comment um what were you saying while i write this um Oh, I was just saying, you know, I just loved how uh, the, 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 these these moms, these, you know, these Portland moms, they're, they're called the Wall of Moms. They just came and they did it in such a peaceful way. And they're still throwing tear gas at them. And then uh, it was it was just brilliant. And the, and the guy with the hockey stick that just lobbed the, the tear gas right back at them. Yeah. Uh, that was well, and cool. It's so important that the protests are continuing until uh, police departments address the issues that communities have. We have to keep showing up because if we don't keep the pressure on, nothing will change. Also, sidebar, a whole bunch of other people are watching on your Facebook page, so it's fine. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. So, um, I- all right. Well, what we do here is the LGBTQ news and nonsense. So we will roll on to the stories. Now, this is a story that's been going on for several years, but the U.S. State Department has finally sanctioned the leader of Chechnya, Ramzan Kadyrov. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the department has extensive credible information that Kadyrov is responsible for numerous gross violations of human rights dating back more than a decade, including torture and extrajudicial killings. Now, details of the horrific anti-LGBTQ purge were first reported four years ago in 2016. Survivors recounted being detained, beaten, electrocuted, forced to turn over the names of other queer people. Many said they were turned into authorities by their own family members. Now this finally comes after a 2000 investigation into it. The report sparked a huge international outcry, as well as an underground railroad of activists seeking to help queer Chechens escape persecution. If you guys haven't seen, there's an amazing and difficult documentary to watch called Welcome to Chechnya by David France. You can see it on HBO right now. Um, Germany, France, and Canada have quietly granted asylum to refugees from Chechnya, but so far the U.S. has not. In case there was any idea that it was going to get better there, Katarov's response to Pompeo uh, was on Telegram, an instant messaging channel. He said, Pompeo, we accept the fight. The further it goes, the more interesting it gets. He posted, along with a photograph of himself holding two machine guns in a warehouse. So the LGBTQ community in Chechnya is still um, 
under an enormous persecution with clearly no signs of it setting up. So this first long delayed, entirely too late action by the State Department definitely should be followed up by allowing asylum. But this goes back to the story we talked about last week about how the U.S. immigration is making it harder for LGBTQ people to prove asylum, their asylum claims. So these issues all build on top of each other uh, for this administration that is truly not doing enough to help LGBTQ people around the world, despite claiming Trump is, you know, saying that it's bad and wanting to cure AIDS and all of this nonsense that's been said, but with no action to support it. Yeah, and then also following in the same path, uh, Jenna Ellis is a senior legal advisor to Donald Trump and the worst kind of evangelical Christian. And this week, she retweeted an article that supports conversion therapy called The Empirical Case Against Conversional Conversion Therapy Bans that argues against a new conversion therapy ban bill in Canada. She tweeted it saying, no sexual orientation is not immutable. One large uh, longitudinal, longitudinal, longitudinal study found that over 80% of the same sex behavior uh, behaved adolescents became exclusively heterosexual behaved after six years. Uh, the article also already argued that people could turn queer because of childhood sexual abuse. And she tries to connect the LGBTQ plus identities of fa uh, to family dysfunctions. In the past, Ellis has called HIV God's moral law and his supremacy. She also criticized judges for decriminalizing homosexuality in the state of Texas. Also, after the Pulse nightclub shooting, this, she's just not, this is the one that gets me, yeah. Human, human being. Uh, she criticized her own Republican Party for embracing LGBTQ plus rights in a blog post called Two Wrongs Do Not Make an LGBT Right. In it, she said, just because we are all heartbroken, and indeed we are, that 50 Americans lost their lives does not mean that America, conservatives, or Christians should become activists for homosexuality or any other immorality. I didn't see the left suddenly become Christian activists after Charleston and try to welcome Christians or even stand up for what is actually fundamentally right, free exercise of religion. Whew. And also, that's just insanely wrong. Everyone after Charleston said that the houses of worship should be sanctuaries for people. I mean, across the entire political spectrum, of course, people on the left said that what happened there was incredibly wrong. Like, it's not even factually accurate. And this is a senior legal advisor to the president talking about how she wishes that homosexuality was still illegal. Just. <laughs> oh. There is a um, word that comes to mind that I will not utter. Also, sidebar, you know, for people who want to be able to help, um, I'm putting the Rainbow Railroad website into the chat. Um, for Chechnya, the Rainbow Railroad is very involved with helping LGBTQ people around the world who need to escape their home countries. So if you want to be able to support, I've been focused a lot on like, what can I do though, when we talk about these terrible things. So that's an organization that actually works specifically with that, if you're interested. Yeah, I've been, I've been yeah. following them for a long time. I've actually, um, uh, for their benefits, given uh, merch and stuff. I really love, love that organization. Yeah. 
Um, all right, and then in um, returning news, we've talked several times about the amazing Pennsylvania Health Secret Secretary, Dr. Rachel Levine, who is trans. Last weekend, an event at the Bloomsburg Fair in Eastern Pennsylvania gave attendees the chance to drop a man dressed as Levine into a dunk tank. The man wore glasses, a flower print dress, and a blonde wig. Tickets sold for the dunk tank benefited volunteer fire departments in the area. Now, the Fair Association posted a photo of the impersonator on Facebook and said, Dr. Levine, thank you. You were a hit and raised a lot of money for the local fire companies. Wonder why so many were trying to dunk you. The post is gone, of course, and after being criticized by the Democrat governor, who definitely supports Dr. Levine, and even some of the beneficiaries of the fair, the officials with the group held a news conference to apologize for the event and say there was no transphobic intent behind caricaturing Levine. David Broad, the fire volunteer fire chief who impersonated her, said he was actually going for a Marilyn Monroe look, but when people commented that he resembled Levine, he decided to go along. He said it was just in fun. It wasn't done to disrespect her. Here's the thing to me. I believe that there are people that don't know trans people. I believe it's possible that this small town man, somebody said, oh, you look like Dr. Rachel Levine. And he thought, ha ha, that's funny. We'll raise some money. And the transphobia of that is it reinforces the idea that she is a man in a dress. You know, whether the intentions were that or not, that is the horrible trope that it plays upon. I, I do love, once again, Dr. Levine's office had no comment. I love that she and her office are like, I've work to do. We're not commenting on memes. We're not commenting on bullshit comments. We're not addressing these things. They're distractions from the important work she does for the people of Pennsylvania. That said, she's just a woman trying to do a job to save people in the middle of a literal health crisis. And that's what it's like for trans people just trying to live their lives and do their jobs as who they are. Whew. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, this is a very interesting story. There's this racist gay man who was caught on tape in New York City on the Upper East Side. In the footage, the motorist is seen stepping out of his vehicle and yelling, hey. And I, I, I watched it, so I'm doing him pretty accurate. Yeah. Hey, it would be smart to get out of the street, asshole. Fucking. And then he used the N-word. Then he climbed back into his car smoking like, you know, smoking. When he sees he's being recorded, he says, are you recording me? Why? The pedestrian replies, cause you're an asshole. He quips back, I'm an asshole? Honey, look in the mirror, okay? The only person that's an asshole is you recording me. The pedestrian says, oh, you are so fierce. The racist then responds, I know I am, thank you. Um, are you gay too? Oh no, oh no, you're not? Well, you look like it. Do you do you keep, uh, do, do you wanna keep recording me having fun? What are you gonna do with this recording? Just tell me. I'll put it on the internet, the pedestrian replies. They bicker, then the racist threatens to, I'll beat the shit out of you. When the pedestrian tells him to give it a try, the motorist jumps out of the vehicle and lunges at him. The racist grabs the phone, throws it across the street. But unfortunately for this motherfucker, there was another person nearby filming the whole thing with a different angle. The racist has been identified on Twitter as Joseph O'Brien. And I repeat, his name is Joseph O'Brien. He's a former adult performer and he goes under the name of Dustin Gold for Hef Helix Studios. 
They announced he was fired in a tweet saying, Dustin Go has been fired. He hasn't worked for us in 2004, and we will not use him in the future. Now, I decided to Google him and look at a couple of his his uh, his, work. his work. His body of work. His body of work. And here's why he's pissed. He got fat. He got fat. He got a little fat. And he can't do the porn anymore. He's upset. And so he's just, I'm just mad. There are absolutely fat people in porn. It's a whole genre. Well, he was a, his whole thing was he was this little twink. twink. That's how he made his money. Little bottom twink. And he, he aged out. That's what happened. Well, I I love several things. Wait, first of all, sidebar, I'm watching Drag Race Canada as well on WOW Presents Plus. And last night in their pit crew, among the like 10 guys, they had a guy with a belly. And I loved that there was like a wider range of body types oh, because yeah. everybody has different things they're interested in. I this was not that shaming. Just to I be know clear. you weren't. Okay. Yeah. No, but I just think it, he should embrace and move into making other kinds of films. I love that he hasn't worked for them since 2014. <laughs> but they fired him. I was like, you know, somebody just forgot he was on the roster, right? Like protecting themselves. But and, um, uh, I, I, just, yeah. I just wanted to thank you for allowing me to do that story. I really, really love that I story. knew that you would. And I love that you can see the moment in the video when he, there's a, a moment in his eyes where he realizes the video was on and then he decides to lean into it. And during the whole fight, he's thinking, how do I get that phone? Like he knew, which is why he like eventually grabbed the phone and threw it into the street, hoping to break it. But here's what's interesting about it. Uh, that phone was part of the video because they edited two together, the thing that I saw. So yeah. they were able to get that phone's footage as well, which was a much better shot. And then they shot, it was like the reverse. They shot the reverse, showing him going across the street with his little bitch slap and grabbing yeah. the phone. Well, and it's also, and it goes back into the issue, right? As we're talking about racism in our culture and being anti-racist, but also very specifically what racism looks like and sounds like within our community. You know, that black LGBTQ people and other people of color that are LGBTQ talk about the racism they experience in our community. You know, here is a man that experiences marginalization for being gay, being racist to other people. So we it is something we have to talk about and deal with in our own community, call it out and hold it accountable, particularly for those of us that are white in the community. Yeah, I will tell you, and I, I'm not gonna be real specific here just because I'm not protecting, but I, I played a club in a, in a city and the club owner afterwards smoking a cigarette, I was, I was just hanging out, he told me a racist joke. And I said, what makes you think that that is okay with me? And he said, oh, I don't mean anything by it. You know, I, 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 you know, I look at the drag queens in my, my club. I hired black drag queens all the time. Yet he told this despicable joke. I got home and I told my manager, I'm never playing that club again. And um, I didn't. So I, I hopped across town to um, a club called The Edge. Well, and it happens so much. Black LGBTQ people talk about it all the different ways, like overt racism like that, but then like racist dress codes that are designed to target specifically black dress and black culture. Honey Mahogany in New York did a big speech at a club saying, I won't perform here anymore. Chicago's dealing with how black queens are treated. Like this is very, 
specific to our community as well as the wider. Well, I, another, I had another issue with that, with uh, and I think you were aware, very aware of that at the club play in Nashville. I think they've stopped it, but they used to have a very, very specific targeting young black men. Uh, with their dress code, and I, I called them out. They got all mad about it. But you know, it's like we have to we have to speak up. We must speak up. And when I did this in in uh, in you know at this club that I was talking about, uh, the guy was just shocked. And I said, "How dare you? How dare you be a gay man? And I know you've been discriminated against in Tennessee, and yet you are a racist. You are a fucking racist." Yeah. And then the like the subtle ways that it happens, right? That we wouldn't pay attention to as white gays. You know, when the posters are always just a hot white guy with an eight pack. Like, what does that say after a while to black LGBTQ people? You know, how welcome are you here? You know, it's all of the different ways that contribute to making it not an equal opportunity or equally welcoming spaces uh, in our communities. I wanted to say, ask you, did you see this? Leanne said, did you see the racist woman in LA that wouldn't let the food delivery guy in the building? Did you see this one? I had not seen that one. Okay, go watch it. It is this, there's, it's a Postmates or uh, Uber Eats guy, black guy, trying, he's trying to, to get the code to deliver food to somebody in the building. And this woman walks up and just says, who are you visiting? Uh, yeah, you can't come into my building. I don't feel safe. He gets the person on the speaker whose food he's delivering is like, this woman won't let me in your building. The person has to come downstairs to get the food. She's like, I don't want you in my building to the person that lives there, just this black guy in a hat and a mask, you know, delivering his food, doing his job. Five minutes of just, you can't come into my building. And, and did they get it on, they, they got it on camera? Yeah. Oh, I have to, I'll see it, Leanne. I love <laughs> Leanne. Leanne sends me the sweetest messages. When I'm feeling down, I just go and I find Leanne's messages. So thank you, Leanne. Jonathan said, I was never more proud of you than when you called out play for the dress code. Thank you, know? you Jonathan. It, it, wasn't the only, it wasn't the only incident I had with play. I had another incident after that. I did. They did change that sign. And I did, I, I don't play there anymore. I will never play at play. I will never step foot in that club again because of, uh, them not protecting the, the people that are on stage uh, and allowing people just to walk in and talk during your show. And I called somebody out from the stage who was doing that and they got mad at me because they said that was a customer who actually did not even pay to come into my show. So I said, I'm done. I, you know, I gave you another shot. I am so fucking done. Yep. And being anti-racist is first holding ourselves accountable for the things we do and say or have said and have done, but then it's being actively aware and engaging in it when we see it. It's making the uncomfortable moment uh, to stand up. Um, all right, in other like, good news, the past year saw LGBTQ representation in elective office in the US grow by 21% with 843 known out officials as of June, according to a report from the Victory Institute, which attributed the growth to the fact that LGBTQ candidates are one, running for office, more willing to be out while running, and more are coming out while in office as well. It's likely to grow even more in the next year as more than 880 openly uh, queer people are running for office in 2020. Bisexual representation up 53%, trans women up 40%. Still, um, they're overwhelmingly white, 77%, cis men, 57%, and gay identified, 54 
the working in other areas to go representation. Now, we hold 0.17% of elected positions across the entire country, uh, despite making up 4.5% of the adult population. So Anise Parker, president and CEO of the Big Victory Institute, who we know and adore, former mayor of Houston, said in a press release, while the number of elected officials continues to increase, we must still elect over 22,000 more LGBTQ people before it's even an equitable representation versus the population, which leads us to the next story. So if you think good factual news and information on disparity, right? Okay, well, Richard Grinnell, the gay former ambassador to Germany and acting director of national intelligence, he didn't like it. Uh, he also is a Trump supporter and so much of a Twitter Twitter a Twitter troll a Twitter troll. His tweets were discussed in his confirmation hearing. ABC News posted a tweet with the headline saying, "At least twenty-two thousand LGBT candidates must be elected to reach equal representation." Grinnell quote tweeted it saying. This thinking is dangerous and offensive because it assumes all gay people think a lot alike. Gay is not an ideology. Grinnell then went on to tweet attacks at the Victory Fund and its CEO, Anise Parker. Well, the Victory Fund tweets, it costs zero dollars to love yourself, Richard Grinnell. You ought to try it sometime. Then the log cabin Republicans weighed in because their voice is so fucking important. Saying, I'm sure if you ask any of the few Republicans that Victory Fund has supported, they'd agree that the hollow words of nonpartisan support only goes one way to the left. Well, the Victory Fund responded saying, we endorse far fewer Republicans than Democrats, but that's because so few LGBTQ people are running as Republicans. Bam. Uh, this is about the candidates that are running right now, not about our endorsement process. We endorse pro-equality, pro-choice GOP candidates. Grinnell got in it again asking, why didn't you endorse Carl DeMeo? You should have to explain this to the IRS. So done. The Victory Fund clapped back, said, folks, we are a 527 political organization. We are not tax exempt. We are not, we are nonpartisan because we chose to be, not because we have to be. Again, we are not tax exempt. Breathe, people. Well, and his original point was bonkers and stupid. The article said 22,000 people to reach equitable population representation. He didn't say 22,000 Democrats. So like his original idea of like, the, it's not an ideology doesn't even make sense. It's like when people talk about black people represented in government or indigenous people or Latino people, you know, whatever group you're talking about versus the population, it's just saying equitable representation. Like it was dumb from the jump. Also, he's such a troll. He's always after Gavin Newsom. I swear I'm scared we're gonna have to live through him running for governor of California at some point. I think he moved to Palm Springs. Oh. Well, anyway, I, I, if you don't know who he is, good for you. I mean, it's like he immediately pissed off people in Germany when he first got there. He's just the biggest Trump supporter and you know, 
It's representation that there are ridiculous, stupid people in every community. Yes. <laughs> All right. Fixed on Palm Springs. I was just going, what will I say when I run into him? Oh, I might not be right. Well, we've reached the mid portion of our show where I, is, I do my obligatory commercial. If you're sitting at home and enjoying the show and have some extra money after contributing to every other cause you can think of, and you want to send us a tip to support us continuing to do this twice a week, you can do that on Venmo to at Emerson Collins or on PayPal to Beard Collins Shores Productions at gmail.com. We appreciate every contribution. It is not an obligation. We are thrilled so many of you keep coming back to join us for this conversation and enjoy what we do here because we certainly love it. Yeah, and so many of you have been so generous and we thank you. I just heard a cha-ching. So uh, Erica, I know you, Erica always divides it up. So thank you, Erica, always. Um, yes, go. All right, this next story I really love and I'm gonna read entirely too much of it because it's really, really brilliant. Now, out comedian Billy Eichner, started from Billy on the street, all through the Lion King and blowing up uh, in the Hollywood culture, has just announced his newest project will be playing Paul Lind in a new biopic titled mm -hmm. Man in a Box. What a great and he did a, an incredible interview about it for Deadline that I really encourage you, all of you, to go read in full uh, later. It's one of the best examples I've ever seen of an out gay actor talking about the challenges and journeys of being an out gay actor and masculinity that I've ever seen. Um, and obviously uh, it speaks to me very personally. Now he does a lot of great conversations about Lind and he says, he's not a martyr or an angel. He had terrible substance abuse problems. He could be a real asshole. I think it's a compelling story because when we are presented with these biopics about gay people, we're often seen as martyrs or victims. We're not seen as fully complex people, emotionally complicated, as messy as everyone else. He also talked about gay actors and how they don't get the chance to play our own gay icons. Harvey Milk, Freddie Mercury, Elton John. And he didn't take anything away from the actors who played those roles saying, but we don't, why don't we get to tell our own stories? I don't think there needs to be a rule like straight actors can never play gay, but it's so lopsided. It never works in the other direction. We're never granted the opportunity to bring all of our life experiences, gay people to the screen. And it's become frustrating to watch that happen over and over again. He goes further. The reason that Lind was limited in his options was because he did not present as masculine. And the minute someone does that, they are limited in their options. What studio executives and audience at large decide they will believe a gay actor doing on screen or not doing is fascinating to me. It comes down to masculinity. We accept a masculine actor playing effeminate and we'll reward him for it. And when the opposite happens, when someone's presented themselves as flamboyant or effeminate, as an actor or as a person, it's almost thought of as a joke. And then he talks about what happens to gay actors. And I watched as every gay actor I know and have seen applauded all of this. He said, I've heard stories. I mean, they're rumors, but I know they're true about actors who are considered for a major franchise who weren't out actors, but even though they were closeted, they couldn't even be considered because someone was worried they might come out at some point. And then he gave a real world example said, I'm doing this rom-com about a gay male couple that I wrote and I'm starring in for Universal. Judd Apatow is producing it. I'm an EP on that, so I was privy to casting discussions and I would see when the casting lists were circulating about which actors to call in for which role. There were so many straight actors on every list to play gay characters. 
But until I raised my voice for the straight characters in the movie, there were never gay actors on the list for those roles. I so saw it with my own eyes. It's not a two-way street. Now, I just love this because it wasn't some like only gay actors can play gay. His point was gay actors don't get to tell gay stories and then they're also not considered for the straight roles. And then we applaud straight actors for doing this huge transformation to play gay characters. So openly gay actors are basically screwed from both directions. So when it talks about getting to tell our stories, it's not like that straight actors can't, but if we can't play straight characters because people are worried they won't believe us, we should at least get to play the gay characters and certainly the gay interesting ones without taking anything away from the great performances straight actors have given in gay roles. I yeah. just loved it. But he just gave the opportunity. You know, and he, he gave that amazing list and there were some really great performance in the- in Absolutely. The, get me wrong. But Michael Douglas came to mind with Liberace. I mean, was, was there a gay actor that was even considered for that role? I wonder, you and, know? If we don't get the chance to play the really meaty roles, then there aren't any of us that are famous enough to get the big roles. You know, it's like God's Own Country. That director has a new movie coming out I'm very excited for. Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan playing the lesbians. You know, there's another movie coming out with Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci that was announced playing an older gay couple. I love both of them. Can't wait to see it. But also, if we don't give openly LGBTQ actors bigger and bigger opportunities. None of us will ever be famous enough to play the roles where you need really famous people for the project to happen. And Billy's just so smart. And I love that he's using the power he now has on the project he's creating to make sure that equity at least exists in who gets considered. And I think yeah. that you, you and I, speaking of a four-year anniversary, we're living proof that it can be done. A gay actor can, although he was bisexual, he presented very, very masculine, the character that you did in A Very Sorted Wedding. And great job you did. And it's a little bit like what Jen Richards, you know, talked about in Disclosure that we talked about. You know, if trans people had more and more opportunities, you know, there's le it's less important what happens with each one. But until we get to play the really great roles and have really great famous Billy's on his way, People, it's going to be frustrating every time a big A-list star gets to tell our story instead of us. I, I we don't have this story, I don't think, in here. But I, I was, I, I read where um, the uh, the Scarlett Johansson. Remember when she was going to play a trans man and mm -hmm. all this controversy? Well, they're now they're now doing that movie with a trans man. So there you um, go. There we 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 there was some 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 something to be. Um, happy about a change there. Okay, so here we go. This is, uh, we want you guys to get involved in this story, uh, if, you, if you will. Yes, be prepared to tell us your thoughts. So I, I, I what do you think, Emerson? Should I even, uh, I'm not even gonna read, I don't think I'm gonna read the response from the person in the, that, that gave their advice. I wanna hear from y'all first, then maybe if we have time, I will read the, her response. So here, here we go. A man wrote a letter to the Guardian asking advice from columnist Pamela Stevenson Connolly. I'm going to read this letter and uh, yeah, I, I want y'all to listen and you tell us what you think if you were asked this question, what is the advice that you would give? So this is the, the question. The, the, he, I am a 20 year old gay man and my sex life is bringing my mood down. I tend to meet guys to whom I am not attracted to physically or in any other way. I feel that I do this because I'm scared to be validated and judged by someone who I do find attractive. 
doing this makes me feel less, makes me think less about sex. I don't feel good afterwards and it's reducing my sex drive. I simply can't bring myself to meet someone I do find attractive. I think I'm sabotaging myself subconsciously and that's why I go for guys I feel, I find unattractive. So Emerson. So what do y'all think? What would you tell this poor boy? What would you say? I would say, honey, you need to love yourself and go look in the mirror and find someone to love first. And then you can be okay with yourself and, 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 and start looking for, you know, um, I think I would also say, don't forget to look into the soul of a person and weigh that in, in finding someone attractive, not just the physical aspects, because I feel like that especially early in my life that many times that I probably eliminated a lot of great people uh, who could have been great husbands or in a relationship just because of some superficiality. So, well, yeah, to me, it sounds like he thinks he's not good enough for the kind of person he's attracted to. You know, it's like, Oh, I want like the Abercrombie model from the magazine, but I don't think I'm good enough for that. Mm -hmm. But also, sir, Stop having sex with people you're not attracted to. Like yeah. that's just always gonna make you feel bad about yourself. I was the opposite. When I first started having sex, I was so excited anybody wanted to have sex with me. I had sex with anybody who wanted to. I was like, yes, please. Thank you. All shapes, sizes, ages, man had gray hair and I was 23. I was like, yes, whatever you, whoever it is. Well, I think that there's a lot of grateful men out there, Emerson. Uh <laughs> I had to, I, I had to learn the opposite, learn to be a little more discriminating and, you know, look at starting to date instead of uh, just having sex. All right. Let's see what some of these uh, said. Greg said, definitely love yourself and worry about it. I think he meant don't worry about it. Steve said, been there, done that. I grew out of it. Didn't think I was worthy of someone attractive. And Dana said, yes, just love yourself. It's also, I, I do think you were right on. I think if you get too caught up in what culture says is the pinnacle of attractiveness, mm -hmm. you don't give yourself time to explore all the other kinds of people you could be attracted to or the different reasons you could be attracted to people. You know, there's, if it's just physical, you can end up all kinds of depressed if you don't think you meet the standards of what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brett said, Emerson, I adore your bedroom eyes. Sorry for being tacky. Oh, honey, you don't ever have to apologize for a compliment. I am a weird combination of insecurity and arrogance and a compliment always helps. You know what kind of eyes I have, Brett? Kitchen eyes. Kitchen eyes that look at food. Those are kitchen eyes. I would, ra I would have rather rejected myself before someone else had the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. Oh, Steve, I don't love that for you. You know, well, don't limit yourself. I mean, Emerson, think of the monologue that you delivered so brilliantly. I'm just giving your acting uh, in, in Southern Baptist Sissies. Why, why he said, I am not worthy of someone complete. I always fall for someone without a car, without a job you know, somebody who needs fixing. And that was me for a, a very, very long time. I, or someone who needed me. I felt like that I wasn't worthy. And I think a lot of that comes from the self-esteem that we, we grow up with. And it's not just about our physical appearance. It's also about that we're gay. 
and we are not worthy of someone complete or we're not worthy of someone fill in that blank. So Steve did say he grew out of that. Yeah, I think many of us did. And it's what Matt said. You never know what another person finds attractive. There and that's such an important piece of it too. You know, swing for the fences and risk it all. Look at us giving therapy without license. But what, correct. Well, you know, we're donation only, so we're not charging anybody for free bad advice. Pay what you can. Pay what you can for our therapy. Zana said, rewatch Southern Baptist Sissies on Prime the other day. Holds up very well. I'm so glad. Well, you know what? I want to say something about that. It, it does hold up very well, but in a way, that is unfortunate because yeah. it. I wish that it were, it could be where we looked at Southern Baptist Sissies and go, wow. It was really like that. It was, a, yeah. but unfortunately, I mean, I wrote that play in 2000 and it, it premiered in 2000, I believe in two, uh, September of 2000. And it's still relevant. We, we shot it 13 years later and we were like, we didn't have to change anything. And that is unfortunate. So I hope that, uh, I hope that it, I hope it ages badly. Yes. Our goal is for it to be a weird, archaic period piece. Yeah. All right, and really fun news, um, sort of. U.S. Senator Kirsten Sen Kristen Sinema of Arizona, the first out bisexual senator, has been wearing colorful wigs to work lately, not simply for fashion, but to emphasize the importance of social distancing during the pandemic and show solidarity with those like me, with this group back here, who aren't going to hair salons. I still have not had a haircut since the pandemic really? started. She wore a uh, purplish pink wig uh, in, on May 4th, and then on Tuesday, she wore a bluish-green wig, and there was a photo tweeted, I'll show you in a second. Now, conservative political consultant Matt Makowiak, however, thought wearing the wig amounted to conduct unbecoming a senator, and quote tweeted it saying, this is a sitting female U.S. senator, clearly dismissively. But one of the best responses was a user who tweeted back a photo of Matt Gates in that gas mask he wore to the chambers and said, this is a US sitting U.S. congressman. Did you tweet about him? And here, I'll show you the photo real fast. I was like, Lord, like the misogyny just runs rampant at all times, doesn't it? Like this woman doing something fun. So there is Senator Cinema in her mask. I think she looks fantastic. Yes, and it matches in everything. I love it. I tell you what, Matt Gates and, and this Matt McElwack, here's what is unbecoming uh, behavior of a senator. That is Representative Ted Yoho calling uh, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez a fucking bitch on the Capitol steps. That is unbecoming, not a blue wig. Yeah. I mean, just rampant misogyny that he's so upset by what she does. Like, it is absolutely bonkers. It, that was done. And because of the president we have and the culture uh, that he has established, it's barely a blip in the moose. I mean, she spoke great about it uh, the uh, next day. Nine and a half minutes, it, go, find it. It's all over Twitter. Uh, it, it, it's rather brilliant. It is rather- but again, just the misogyny women face doing their jobs. That's right. You uh, can't compete with her on the issues. Gotta call her names. All right, a 25 year old man has been found guilty of attempting to blackmail a grandfather he met on Grindr in the UK. Um, uh, Kieran George Thurling met his victim in the app in September 2018. They met around eight times for sex before Thurling 
uh, threatened to out him via a message this year. The older man now divorced, has children and grandchildren. His ex-wife and kids knew nothing about his sexual activity with other men. Thurling told him that if he didn't give him about $500, he would put posters up around the local area outing him. The older man told Thurling he'd have trouble finding uh, the money, uh, but he raised uh, to $750, he said, and he told his victim to drop the money. Uh, so the, 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 the blackmailer, Thurling, told the victim to drop the money off in an envelope at a specified location. Well, here's where the story gets good. The older man instead went to the police. He couldn't give Thurling's name or even identify features because Thurling had always wore a, a hooded top and it had been dark when they met. The police planned a sting at the drop-off with the envelope stuffed with paper. And when Thurling showed up, they arrested him. He admitted the blackmail and told police. Now, this is where the story falls apart a little bit for me. It's like he planned to use the money to go abroad and take his own life. Can't you just do that without taking a trip? And he was sentenced to uh, two years in jail, suspended for 20 months community service and rehab. I didn't mean to be insensitive. I just call bullshit. He was trying to get sympathy by saying, oh, I was raising the money so I could go away and commit suicide. And I'm like, you don't need money to commit suicide. You can do it right in your own bedroom. I mean, that's, that's bullshit. That's what I meant. I wasn't being insensitive. I, I'm very sympathetic. I've got lots, lots of suicide in my family and, and it, 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 it hurts my heart to think of the pain and depression that people go through. But this guy was, I just call him bullshit. You got me. And on the other side, you know, I hate the the other side of the story. One, like a young gay man taking advantage of an older gay man. Also, it reinforces the damage the closet still does for so many people that there was even the opportunity to blackmail this man whose family doesn't know about who he is after this full life that he's lived. You know, with the, the culture that keeps people ashamed, that keeps people in is what makes even the circumstances even possible. Um, so I hope that this older man uh, is feeling more comfortable. I hope it leads him to be able to come out, you know, to not to not sit in that shame. Absolutely. All right. And then really quickly, first of all, we know bisexuality is real, right? Yes. Uh, but I put this in because there's a lot of invalidation of bisexuality and often particularly uh, with men who have sex with men who are bisexual, uh, this idea of like, oh, if you touched a dick, you're gay. Uh, so a new study out of Northwestern University uh, took eight different studies conducted over the last 20 years from 600 men to definitively show the bisexuality by anatomy. Researchers gauged sexual arousal with instruments that measured penile erection in response to male and female erotic stimuli. They confirmed that male sexual attraction and orientation encompasses a range from straight to bisexual to gay. Now, I just, first of all, like just imagining like getting paid for them to like put a gauge around your dick and then just showing you a bunch of pornographic images and seeing which ones like got you going and which ones didn't. A hundred participants weren't aroused by either. And I'm fascinated by that. Like just not into porn, I guess, at all. Or asexual. Yeah, that, absolutely. Though I don't think asexuals represent that large a percentage of the population statistically. I mean, that's, a, you know, 15 to 18%. Um, but certainly porn doesn't do it for everybody. It's interesting to note the most equal bisexual response were found in men who rated themselves as Kinsey twos or straight leaning. This is important that this study exists, not that we should have to have studies to validate people's orientation, 
there was a 2005 study led by the same research that did not find evidence. There was a big New York Times article called Straight, Gay, or Lying, basically invalidating bisexuality, saying they're really gay people who are denying themselves, which is also the common criticism of bisexual men, often from gay men. So I just felt like it was important to include this and talk about this and remember invalidating uh, bisexuality, particularly from us in the community, you know, that, oh, the bi way to gay town or that sort of tired stereotype because there are some gay men who bisexuality is a, is a piece of their journey doesn't invalidate people whose end point is bisexual. So I just thought it was great that there's like, they found scientific proof. There's a range, a spectrum as it were. Did you just get, are you like playing lighting designer over there? What's happening? I realized, you know, I always tell you Emerson, I'm so bad at all this that I forgot to put my light up and I just wanted to ask people, now does that make a difference? Do I, is it better? It does. It's a lovely fill. Oh God, well you had to look at me and look hideous this whole time. I had seven and a half minutes. put the light on because I wanted to do a good performance of this because I love this story so much. It's yes. another erratic story, and this one from a mom about her son who had recently come out using the screen name Country Mama Lynn. That's my middle name. Uh -huh. right? It just told you the whole character right there, didn't Country it? Mama Lynn. So Country Mama Lynn, she says, y'all, this is a new account I just made because I need to vent, and I am not sure where else to post this. My son, 15, just came out yesterday as gay to my husband, and my husband kicked him out while I was at work. I got a panic phone call from my baby telling me everything. And, and let me tell y'all, I was pissed. He So she rushed home where she found her child on the curb with his clothes and shit strewn all across the damn lawn. I gave that bastard a piece of my mind and I told him that if he can't be a man and support his son, that he could kiss my ass and find someone else to pay his bills. She then left home and checked herself and her son into a hotel as, the, as they found a new living situation. Users pointed out that since she paid the bills, she wasn't the one who should be looking for a new place to live. She thought. So uh, she wrote an update saying, I took y'all's advice. I pay for the house. So that motherfucker will be out in a few days and my son will be back in his home. Along the way, she brought she bought her son a bunch of pride gear and found out that he had a boyfriend and she met that boyfriend on FaceTime. In the most recent update, I love this woman so much, Lynn revealed that she did kick Mark, her husband, out and here's what she said. She said, I called him and I very kindly reminded him who owns the house, who pays the bill, and he was screaming about, you need me, woman. You can't just kick me out, whore. And he asked to meet me in person. So I did, but I don't trust him. So I brought my adorable camo baseball bat just in case things went south. They did not. He left, and now my son and I have lots of extra space. I just loved it so much because it literally just sounded like the story you would write for some country mama. I want her, I want that short film. That is a short film waiting to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, or a, yeah, a whole film.
I just want to see like all the buildup. And then afterwards, you know, she took him to his first pride. She went out and got him some gear. You know, she joined the pea flag, started bringing snacks, some noodles, some, some squeezed cheese noodle dish. She was, and, and, and my favorite was that camo baseball bat. That's that, what I mean. I feel like that woman makes macaroni and cheese with squeezed cheese. That was like her, how specific she was in the detail just thrilled my heart. So, you know what? You know what, Country Mama Lynn? Dale Shores loves you. Yes, he does. Don't we all? Oh, I'm so happy for that boy to have a fierce mama bear who's yeah. clearly going to advocate for him. Got rid of Mark. I'm <laughs> Mark. Um, all right. And one final thing. We told you a month or so ago about the New York guidelines for pandemic sexual interaction suggested using barriers. And we all, of course, assumed they meant glory holes because, you know, well, the British Columbia Center for Disease Control in Canada just came out and said it. And their new guidelines, they wrote, sex can be very important for mental, social, and physical well-being. True. Use barriers like walls, e.g. glory holes that allow for sexual contact but prevent close face-to-face -face contact. Just straight up said it. Now, many glory holes have been closed or destroyed, so YouPorn, a porn company, is stepping up to do their part. Company's VP wrote a letter saying, at YouPorn, we highly value the importance of considerate sexual exploration. We would like to extend an offer of our support in an effort to continue to flatten the curve without foregoing sexual pleasure. We would like to offer the province of British Columbia a grant of $100,000 to support the building of glory holes across the province. You know, I knew this story before you sent it to me because you know, Mark, my ex-boyfriend, he sent it, he's up in Canada now. And he said, he wrote me today a text. He goes, I love Canada. And he sent the whole, all those guidelines. Do you know how many glory holes you can make with $100,000? It's just a hole in wood. God, I, I could help. Um, they can't cost more than like $20 or $30 a piece, a big old piece of plywood, stick it somewhere. It's the but sanding. It's the yeah. sanding that takes I mean, the that's true. If you use plywood, you really got to sand need, those edges. You, need you don't want... Sealant. Imagine you got on a mask. You don't want a dick splinter. That just no. be terrible. Woo! That just got it. Okay, real so, quick. Let's give that one to you. Let me say it because I love him so much and I have a picture with him. Uh, John Waters is the new fashion of, of uh, St. Laurent and I love that so much. And I, I just wanted to, to at least say it. So there well, we go. Well, hold on. I mean, it's, it's useless without this photo. I wanted to send my picture with me and John, but I couldn't find it. But look at well, that. Well, there he is. John Waters. Yeah, the new John Waters. Of Yves St. Laurent. I just love that. Just an icon of a weird, queer insane aspiring artist. I saw him in P-Town when we went to see Jinx Monsoon show. He was sitting two rows in front of us and I just watched John Waters watch Jinx Monsoon show. Well, you know, when I, he, he had, his, he did his one man show at the Tampa uh, and Lesbian Film Festival and they were showing one of my standups and they showed mine first and then he did his show. And so we went to dinner before I took a picture of, of, of John and me and sent it to Leslie Jordan, who was obsessed with him. And he goes, you fucking asshole. How come this is, this is not fair. This is not fair. I'm the one who loves him. And then John said, well, I've seen him in P-Town many times. And um, Leslie goes, you tell him to come backstage next time. So, 
All right. Well, that's all we got. We hope you all have a great weekend. One more reminder, if you want a tip, send us a few dollars on Venmo. It's at Emerson Collins or PayPal to Beard Collins Shores Productions at gmail.com. Thank you to Ben and Rex and Allison and Erica and Jonathan for your contributions today. And we're off to go see the finale of Drag Race, which we'll talk about next time. Yes, I'm so excited, and I have to get off the internet starting right now because it starts airing 5 p.m. Pacific. Who are you rooting for? Uh, I think Miss Cracker, maybe? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm for so me, cool. it's between Shay and Juju. Like, Juju's had my heart since the beginning. I love both of them. I love them all three. It's really, a, really difficult. I love, you know, Shay. Let's just go with Shay. I think. Well, so. all right. Well, everybody watch. We'll discuss the finale on Tuesday.